Okay, I'll ask you this one simple question, and I expect a simple answer. Are you an alien? Nope. Good enough for me. Hey Scooby fans, and welcome to the first installment of a podcast named Scooby-Doo Extras. Now the whole point of these Extras mini-episodes is to take the audio commentaries that I've been doing with writers and producers of the Scooby-Doo shows and just isolate them from those interviews so that if you just want to hear the commentary, you can just load up this episode in your uh, iPod or smartphone, pop in your earbuds, play the episode on DVD, Netflix, iTunes, wherever you're getting your uh, content, and just listen along without having to jump around the 20 or 40 minutes that generally sit on either side of the commentary when they're part of the interviews. Come on, gang. Let's check it out. I was really happy with how this commentary turned out. Tom did a really great job of just filling the time. He never seemed to have a lack of things to talk about, and he covers the process of writing the episode, where some of the ideas came from, and just some good observations, and I think you will enjoy it. I had a great time recording it, and I think you'll have a great time listening to it. So, if you're ready, you can pause the podcast while you get your episode set up, wherever you're watching it, Netflix, iTunes, if you've got the DVDs at home. And once you've paused it, set it up so that you've got your episode at timer count of 0000 and hold her on pause. I'll wait for you. We'll start up again when you come back. So if you've got the episode all set up, we just need to do a quick countdown here. I'll count down from three. I'll call play, hit play on the episode, and everything should be synced up and you should be good to go. So if you're ready to check out Tom Conkle's audio commentary for... Area 51 adjacent from Season 1 Be Cool Scooby-Doo in 3, 2, 1, play. Oh, we're moving. So, yeah, with this scene, it really is about how we're experiencing life through technology. And I was just very amused with the idea of the character of Tyson trying to get everyone to take this picture and moving people around with the meanwhile this cosmic event is about to happen and we had a great joke with you know we're always obsessed with names and moving people around ridiculously but you can see behind him this thing is happening but he's busy looking at himself in the phone and then he's like hey did anybody get that wait let me check <laughs> They're all checking on their phones. As it goes over, they're trying to experience it one level away, which is exactly level, you know, Area 51 to Area 53. It's one level away from where you are. So then they're all holding their phones up and experiencing it. And to me, that's just wonderfully silly. And then we have the reveal of the alien here for the first time, which you have in the Scooby thing. And he approaches them and they're like, oh, my God, reality. And then it takes them right out into the credit sequence. And I just thought that was a wonderful way to begin an episode where even something horrific, frightening, or cosmic is experienced through this mundane, your phone, or did anyone get a picture of that? I didn't didn't quite see that. Uh, oh, the, the Earth just ended? Anyone get a little video of that? <laughs> so it just made me laugh. 
and there it is, Area 51 adjacent with yet another meteor. And there's Zach. And now it's interesting too with the the mystery machine. We really tried to up the ante with it. That there's I know those two. Um, there's as a plot device. There's a lot you can do with it. And there's James, who's really did a great job directing this. Here is the classic sort of setup. You're moving. You're doing whatever, and you want to pay it off, but. By the same token, you don't want to give away too much of, of, of the setup of they're about to run into this guy and see a monster. So they're they're kind of naysaying, you know, you're hanging around with a bunch of weirdos. And there's a, ah, there we are. But they're the weirdos that she hangs around with. So I just love just the irony of them discussing basically the entire setup of the episode. And they're already in it without realizing the irony of it. And here we have... Just this wonderful setup where he's talking about I um I saw this thing and she's like, Were you sure you, you saw this? Like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Which leads to one of my favorite jokes, which is when they run off into the into the desert after talking to him, we got to do some just broad physical comedy and it pays pays off again much later. This episode is very much about people running off uh insanely into the desert, like, You're doomed and then suddenly they're <laughs> Snakes and chainsaws and all these different things happen. And there's your your influence of, you know, old Warner Brother cartoons where they fall the minute they look down, which I thought was a lot of fun. So here they're deciding to go into the uh, into the desert and see the crash site that he referred to. And we we have knowledge that they don't. They We saw the alien looking at them and. It's the classic setup where um, one side uh, believes in the mystical and she finds this device which will pay off later. And, of course, Scooby and Shaggy are like, we don't want anything to do with this. And she's like, no, this means something. And and Velma is, of course, uh, a font of knowledge, but she is my uh, naysayer in this, uh, as with most episodes. And here we get the, the, the scare. They're after them, which kind of prefigures the the chase. One thing I'm really proud of in this thing is is um, in this particular episode, the chase at the end is one of the few that is a very cinematic chase. It actually has um, oh, this, is, this is the scene that I got John laughing uh, the most about. Um, I had this idea of the light coming up, and I wrote it out mathematically, where it's like, okay, I want nobody to. Stop shining the light at me! And this pretty much made it through uh, exactly the way I had hoped it would, where whenever someone references something or says something to the desert, this bright light comes on and everyone screams, and it's the absurdity... I'm always... There he goes again. It's all right. Um, the absurdity of, of the military being so structured and there's a protocol and the way of doing things just makes me laugh. And the idea that... <laughs> They're carted off now because they are uh, going to take the fall here as the aliens. But the idea that that every time he says something, I was like, I want a light on anyone, anything that moves. And then it's like, well, you're moving, sir. Stop shining the light on me. I heard a shout. You know, that just makes me laugh. Um, here we have just the beginnings of uh, what always, I think, works really well in scripts like this, which is an actual layout physically laying out the timeline of why we should believe this mythology, the Area 51 mythology, and 
of course, Velma is the naysayer, there's always a skeptic or a, uh, a logical explanation for the supernatural. And this show sort of preys on that middle ground between it, because no matter how fantastical the, the ghost or the creature can be, it still ultimately has to be something that plausibly could be someone in a mask, someone that the end can be revealed, which is a wonderfully silly idea. It's actually a very Pythonesque idea because you can have an eight foot tall creature that goes around and burns things down and then you whip it off and it can be an old lady going, it was me and I never wanted you to live here. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you were just eight feet tall a minute ago and glowing. And that just makes me laugh. Now, the actor in me has to say this. The, um, the, the general and the colonel character I had my eye on. Uh, as guest stars, I think that's the most proud of the characters that, uh, as far as writing goes, because I had my eye on a General Stahl. Uh, I wanted to play him, and I was overjoyed to have Mark Hamill do it instead. It's one of those where you're like, you know what, let's go ahead and have him do that. I, I think maybe that might be better than me. And he, uh, to his credit, um, saw that there was a lot of attention lavished on the writing and the absurdity of that character because the writer wanted to play him. Uh, and he did an amazing job. And let's face it, the 10-year-old me was still high-fiving himself to even have uh, him credited in something that I did. Um, and this, of course, another obsession of mine. I love they're going through the different levels. There's all this protocol. There's things that they have to do to get through the facility. And this entire uh, facade, this entire facility, and they're about to meet the general character, this is Mark Hamill's character coming up. Um, I love the protocol that they have to go through, which leads up to the interrogation, which I'm very proud of as well. Um, I, this also, John Colton Berry, who is the, the story editor on this, I was the staff writer on this, um, we would get laughing about, like, M. You mean meddling? No, no, the other M. What's the other, the other M? What's the other word? Meddling has an M. No, it's not that one. We got obsessed with that, which this is a, um, baby of, because that makes us laugh. There's something about um, layer upon layer of absurdity in verbal wordplay that I think you can do, particularly in animation, which which is vocal performance, and vocal performance um, is, is enhanced by this absurd vision, but you can get a lot of expressiveness out of just the voice and doing that, and I think it works really well having that by-play back and forth. There's some episodes of Be Cool Scooby-Doo that I think the verbal wordplay is wonderful. Um and as you saw previously, the, the Mystery Machine has some extra little features in it, which will pay off later. Uh, to me, good comic writing is almost like math in a way. It's an absurd math, but it pays off logically. It should be unexpected, but inevitable. So all those little things we saw. Now, this interview with uh, each character, a lot of fun to write. It was in the first draft of this that, that the individual interrogation started going, and we pushed it, we wrote a lot more than that. what ended up being in here, but we pushed it as best we could because there's something wonderful about asking questions, and she breaks him down, and he's like, he's the one who's confessing, he's like, wait a minute, you got me! You know, and and the idea that, that we reveal, you know, Shaggy's name in this offhanded way, and they believe they are aliens because of the odd way they're acting, when if you look at it, it's like the military seems insane in this, and they are. He's like, aha! I got you. What? Aha! 
and and we are obsessed with ahas back and forth as, <laughs> as much as we can. And there's the musical thing. You can't really go without saying, you know, John Colton Berry has a musical background. I've played piano my entire life. The music in this is great. Uh, he came from Phineas and Ferb, which had great music. So even when they go ah to each other, something about the music makes me laugh. This is my favorite interrogation. This survived all the way through, which I love. I love that he has this serious beat, and he goes, nope, that's good enough for me. And that's a very Tom Conkle joke. Um, and then I just wanted to sort of have him pay it off visually, so he had this idea of them just acting childlike and doing it. It's like, to an outside observer, anyone can seem nuts. The stuff that we do as humans, once you put a little frame around it in a cage, it's like, yeah, there's something wrong here. But the frame that we've put around the military and the protocol that they go through to keep Area 51 is just as absurd. And I think when you follow the internal logic and rules, which we have established here of like how the monster works and what's going on, you can really achieve a kind of special magical absurdness. This is wonderful here. He comes in, scares them, but all of it's part of an elaborate plot <laughs> to get them to... Um, announce to the world that there's a problem so that um, good things can happen for the uh, the bad guy in this. Uh, one of my favorites with her is meeting. This little exchange, again, is that a verbal absurdity. This idea was topped by John. He blew me away with where the, we had an idea of this and, and sort of the nascent form, and then he refined it, and then when we finally got it in the episode it just works so well she's like well maybe that's them being nice maybe maybe growling sounds are being nice maybe blowing up buildings is them saying hello we like you you know which which is a wonderful silly stupid idea i love that so he's chasing them around and what i like about this is it gets very cinematic thanks to the director there's our clue Whenever we were writing, there were always beats that you had to hit. You had to, to find a clever way of having uh, the clues fall into some sort of logical, um, even if it's only the internal logic of this universe, the logic of the mystery had to pay off. And this, of course, finding the general's uh, key, it's like, hmm, how could, how could that be there? But the gang, as, uh, as a group, is being manipulated by their own uh, obsession with solving mysteries which I thought was kind of an interesting idea. It's like, well, you get a bunch, and it looks like people that are obsessed with exposing mystery, and if you have a certain agenda that that helps, then this was a perfect episode to drop them into, because everyone knows the mythology of Area 51. However, this is Area 53, which is two more secret than Area 51. And there is the reveal of the technology that they have, and it could possibly also be a clue. And as I alluded to earlier, um, I'm very pleased that anything that we see technologically or with the clues pays off in this wonderful cinematic sort of Spielbergian chase in the episode. And often they would do pop music, you know, during them, which was great. They have a couple of amazing uh, songs in the show that they would do chases to. But in this particular one, it just feels right to have it be this cinematic, you know, it's kind of back to the future, one thing piled on top of another, one thing going wrong. Next scare, go in, 
there were, there were moments in it, there were beats that you wanted to hit to scare them, to push them to the next narrative thing that needed to happen. And in this case, they need to get back to the mystery machine. They need to discover certain things in the lab, like, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know the, the government was getting money to do this, or they're running out of money to do this. And it needs to happen in this sort of inevitable, casual way. Love this scene. This is, you know, old school, silent comedian. Nope. <laughs> And then uh, that kind of thing I just – I absolutely love because there's the economy of silence and knowing how long to pause. Awkward pauses make me laugh. Um, Daphne does some wonderful stuff in, the, in this episode, uh, not the least of which uh, is her just almost childlike glee at both accepting and denying the absurdity of aliens and her trying to get this – device setting off the the chase and you know let's face it people would be killed outright if this happened and that's what i love about it is that it plausibly posits this wonderful chase using the car in a new way you know chasing after here he's activating it you see the wheels go in and uh we're off to the races with it and you can be funny verbally and still have this visual dynamic and narrative going as she gets it oh she's got the thing and when i was writing it I could see stuff in my head. I like I saw what happened, and I was like, "Gosh, how far can you push it?" That you're still getting information, you're still being funny, but it's kinetic. Like you're going somewhere. You're the, he's getting closer and closer. You're about to touch it, and then all of a sudden you fall down this thing, and we realize, you know, we're going deeper levels, and they're right behind us. Cut to guy outside. Hello, Is anybody there? Oh my God, I'm finally free! And then it continues on, and it, it's almost the. The joke from, uh, you know, uh, Monty Python, uh, Life of Brian, where they go off on a tangent, have an alien pick him up as he's falling. He goes through this entire chase. Then the, the spaceship crashes in, in, uh, back in biblical times and they cr- comes out of the rubble and goes, Oh, you lucky, lucky bastard. It's that sort of humor that makes me laugh. This is wonderful. Kin- the kinetics of it. And then the final payoff is he tries to jump in. Uh, that was beautiful. And, and thanks to John for, uh, um, just getting uh, the humor and, and adding to everything. I, I do have to say at this juncture, I am so lucky that he was a fan of my comedy writing and, and my love of cinema and, and love of words that we are kindred spirits and that he kept the, the tone and the jokes smart and witty and was a perfect story editor on this. He's a, just a terrific writer uh, be it comedic or uh, just dramatic, it's up for him all about structure and finding interesting things about the character. He will pace around with a stick and point at things, and magic happens, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, and that's why I loved working with him. Uh, my fondest memories of this episode, I love they're, they're talking here and, and sort of resolving some of the internal conflict between the characters, and they're still moving, they're still in a chase, there's still stuff happening, but you're getting some character development to them. It's not just kinetics for kinetics sake. And, and again, how things are framed, what you choose not to show, what you choose to show, like look at Fred listening to the conversation. It just adds something. And that's the director's hand. That's the writer. That's everyone. The voice talent on this 
it's, it's amazing that that smash cut to the classic, you know, running into the, to the window and then guns coming in from everywhere. And it's like, right, that's it. We've caught you. And I love these military characters, both of them, the colonel and the general, again, just wonderfully absurd. The argument that they have to make between them. And what I liked about it, too, is I, I did kind of want a red herring it. There was a huge discussion about should it be the colonel, the general, what's who? who's the person who is, the you know, would make sense at the end, uh, but still is unexpected. And, and you could have gone either way, but but I like how the script sort of... You're like, wait, this guy's, he's cool. Wait a minute, he's letting, he seems like a reasonable person. Now, wait a second. And, and because of the structure of this, I like, they're like, look, stop helping. <laughs> they're turning on each other. This is sort of a, your darkest, uh, point in a script structurally. Um, I just love the, uh, the fact that the reasonable person in this conversation is, uh, is the general. The colonel's like, well, hang on, what? If you can get to a point where your comic tone has created the most rational person seeming like the most insane person, that is a win as far as I'm concerned. And Mark Hamill did an amazing job with this voice. I wanted to do that part, and the best compliment I can give you is I can't imagine anyone but him doing it. He did a great job and and made the jokes better. Um and and this whole episode is about tech. You know, the mythology of Area 51 is somehow that's where... Ah, oh, it's him again! Um, the mythology of uh, technology you shouldn't have. Hiding things. Uh, things cost money. Research. Uh, that keeping people in fear is profitable. But also, the mystery machine is basically alien tech. Let's face it, it can do anything. It, it, it's something that... that um, it's kind of absurd, but wonderful is that, well, you should be looking at the mystery machine because frankly, that seems like it's from another planet. It's got claws in it. It can fly. It can do all these different things. And that's the tech that they're, they're kind of, uh, hung on because they're like, well, they have this, this mystery machine. They must be aliens. You know, this, this machine can do anything. And, and I want, I wanted at least the, the, the mystery machine to have an integral part to the narrative, to to solving it, because the Area 51 mythology is all about technology, and that hidden technology or unexpected technology is what Area 51 is all about, is that that's what they're hiding, alien tech, advanced tech, perhaps they reverse-engineered things. And so, love these jokes here where uh, it's starting to pay off the mask removal, it kind of prefigures that, uh, when they finally catch who the person is, you've already kind of seen how that works, and then boop, there he is. And then there's always the sort of wrap-up, which, as I was writing it, I kind of wrote backwards from the script into, well, we saw this device, which could be the remote control, but then did it. Um, there's a reasonable expectation that somebody would have seen him in the desert. She says, well, this is... This is him trying to scare us. We saw General Stahl's security thing. He wanted us to go in there. So now it all kind of makes sense that if it got out that there were uh, semi-credible witnesses, we would get funding like crazy. And that's exactly what he wanted because all his requests for equipment were denied. So it's a somewhat plausible thing, but it's wonderful. Look at his body as the alien. Suddenly he's this, you know, 40-pound creature... <laughs> 
And then here's our classic playing with, uh, we started joking about this before even this episode got written, which is meddling. No, what's the other word? What, what's that word? It starts with an M. Meddling starts with it. No, it's not that. If not for those, oh, come on, help me out. What is it? It starts with an M. <laughs> and I just, I, I love that kind of wordplay. So it was such a fun episode and hopefully unexpected, uh, but at the same time, wonderfully absurdist. So I had a terrific time uh, writing that episode. And the rest is uh, mainly visual. And there they are, all the people that do a heck of a lot of work to make this happen. It takes an incredibly long time to make an animated episode because the sound and the voice are not married to picture uh, until the very end. You have animatics and everything that happens, so it's, it's quite a process. And that's it. And just like Tom says, that is it for the episode and for this installment of a podcast named Scooby-Doo Extras. I hope you enjoyed the isolated commentary track. I would love to hear what you guys think about this feature. I plan on continuing this as I go along, so feedback is welcome. You can contact me on the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash scoobydoocast. I'm also on Twitter, also at scoobydoocast. You can email me at scoobypodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram as a podcast named Scooby-Doo. And if you get your show off of iTunes, I would love it if you took a minute to rate and review the show. The higher the rating, the better for the show. The more visibility, the more people it potentially gets exposed to. And as far as reviewing, I just want to hear what you guys have to say about what I'm doing here. So it's a great way to touch base. And also, it helps promote the show. Every little bit helps. So I'd appreciate any help you can give there. So with that, we bring the first episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo Extras to a close. Thanks for joining me, and take care. Yeah!